coming up on this episode in the late 1980s, which is 1987 to 89, it started getting us ready for the 90s. Shows no longer needed that white male lead to be successful. It made black colleges attractive, space a diverse frontier, and set our eyes on the prize. We will discuss this in decades, so stay tuned. Thank you for joining us for decades. I'm Karen. And I'm Regina. And we are going to take you on a journey back in time and television. So, okay, where are we going now? We're in the late 80s. What was happening? 1988, George H.W. Bush was president. Yeah, don't remember much about that either. I didn't like him. I didn't like him as governor, and I didn't like him as president. Well, I really didn't pay much attention. Was he governor of Texas once, George H.? Yes, Yes, he was, and it was terrible. Okay, well, I didn't pay no attention to that. I was in my own world. Uh, 1987, Jackie Joyner Kersey was AP's female athlete of the year for track and field. Always out there representing us on the track and field, baby. She was wonderful. Jackie Joyner Kersey was such a beast on, on track. She was just a beast. Yes. And in 1988, that George Michael... I love George Michael. I do not know why I love George Michael. I love George Michael. That faith was popular. But Michael Jackson, who was man in the 80s, was his man in the mirror. Oh, man. I'm telling you, Mike just, yeah. Mike was killing it. Killing it. Top shows from the 80s was, the from this particular time, was the Cosby show. Cosby was ruling. A Different World, hey, and Cheers. Remember Cheers? I do remember Cheers. Cheers was so funny to me because I think it was it was such a different culture because these were white men and women that sat around a bar in Boston all day, and I thought, is that what people do? I thought when people get out of work, they go home. So <laughs> that was really... That was really different for me. You know, being in Texas, you get out of work, you you go home. You know, you go home and sit in your chair and drink your beer. So to see these people actually go to a pub and sit and drink and talk all day, that was really different for me in the South. But it was very funny. The way it was written, it was very funny. And I get it. You know, you want to go where people knows your name. You basically... Everybody wants to be seen and heard and loved and felt. And these particular people got that at their neighborhood bar. And so that was that was good. But it was it was very odd at first to think, well, when are these people going to go home? Because they're here a long time. I know this. And, they're all night drinking. Yeah. Just all them winos. <laughs> right. Right. 
<laughs> right? Like you alcoholic, you always at that pub. And I thought, well, how much money you think they make that where they can go to the pub every day? Right? Every they go day. Every day and sit and drink. Because, man, I don't know how much a mailman make, but that Cliff Clavin, he was there all the time. What was that time? And so I thought, okay, but it was it was a really funny show, really funny show, and I I did like Cheers, I did. Yep. The big movies from nineteen eighty nine. Batman, I love Batman. Did Michael you really? King as the original Batman, I loved it. Nicholson was the Joker. Yep, that's before they got all creepy and crazy with everything. Yeah, because now the the Batmans are so dark and almost psychotic. I'm like, how can you be a superhero and you're kind of a psycho? Yeah, you kind of psycho. Don't save me. You scare me. Yeah. But and and one of the things we started getting towards those end of the 80s, we get one good black movie a year. Oh, what was our black movie that year? Girl Harlem Nights. Remember that? Oh, my God. Listen. Baby, they brought back some of the old folks with some of the new folks. That is where they made it. When they could bring, when they can tie the old with the new. Oh, yeah. They had Red Fox in there and Della Reese. Remember that? Oh, oh my God. Listen. You shot my piggy too. Eddie Murphy brought all the black comedy geniuses together Richard Pryor listen I have never laughed so hard even now I will watch that show I can still watch that I can pick up in the middle and just go (laughs) and just laugh I mean that was such a, a, a comedy blessing to us to watch all these people together I imagine being on that set was probably like Christmas because they was probably so freaking funny all the time. Yes, yes. So yes, we we loved us some some Harlem Nights. Yes. So 1987, another dark period for me. Fox News debuts in 1987. Girl, I didn't know nothing about no Fox News until uh, all this foolishness and shenanigans started. It just wasn't in my... It just wasn't in my, you know, in my life. I was like, Fox News, what is that? And then I sat and tried to watch it a couple of times. And I thought, I think my head going to explode. What are they talking about? I know, I know. But yeah, 1987. They didn't exist before then. They ain't been around that long, y'all. To do all the damage they've done. But oops, that's my opinion. So uh, the show, man. I love this show. When they first, it was a spinoff from the Cosby show. It was when one of the daughters went off to college and it was the college that um, her parents had gone to. And so they had this, this legacy of coming from the success of the Cosbys or the Huxtables from the Cosby show came from an HBCU, which is a historically black college. Yeah. And so they they created this show called A Different World, and it was a comedy from 1987 to 1993, and it starred Lisa Bonet, Kadeem Hardison, Jasmine Guy. Baby, I loved this show. 
144 mm-hmm. episodes, six seasons, and it was just these students trying to navigate the world in at this college. And of course, in the beginning, they had a one white person there with them. <laughs> Marissa Tomei. <laughs> Thank yes, you. Yes, Marissa Tomei. But eventually she moved on and it was just the rest. It was just us. And it was it was really good again to be a young uh a young person of color navigating college and then to see a different world. One of the things that a different world did that maybe Cosby couldn't do was they dealt with a lot more issues that maybe college students cared about or young people cared about. They dealt with apartheid. They dealt with sexual assault. They dealt with domestic violence. I mean, they dealt with, you know, cheating. It was just so many things that they dealt with that we were dealing with that kind of like, okay, they see us. They see us, they hear us. And it was just kind of validating. Right, right. And so it was really good from that aspect of it. But yeah, I love that show. And and the other show, and this show might be hard for you to find. It's a PBS show. And so maybe if you're a member of PBS, like if you're like one of those people who pay them regularly, you can go on and you can watch this. But it was the eyes on the prize. And this was a documentary series. The beautiful thing about this show is it taught me history that I was not learning in school. That's why I giggle. Everybody talking about, you know, critical race theory and what they don't want taught in school. They ain't been teaching this stuff in school ever. <laughs> All of a sudden now, they talk about what well, we don't want to. You ain't been teaching it in school. I remember <laughs> my first impression of really, really learning about uh, African-American history. And, and then while this was while I was in college also was this PBS series that just really started talking about the civil rights movement. And the beautiful thing is they're telling you these stories and they have this music in the background. I'm telling you, by the end of, by the, end of the episode, you up marching, you ready to go. You be like, where's the bus? I want to get on. You watch around the limb room with your little sign. No justice, no peace. No justice, no peace. Yes. So it did a really good job of telling this story. And the, and back during the time when they told the story, they had people like Julian Bond and Coretta Scott King and John Lewis and C.T. Vivian. They had all of these people there to tell the story the way they lived it. Yeah, And so not only were we getting the story, but we were getting it from people who had experienced it. Yeah. And so yeah. they had about 14 episodes, did about two seasons, and it just documented the American civil rights movement from 1952 to 1965. I remember watching Keep Your Eye on the Prize, and you're right. There are so many things that I never knew until... I watched this documentary because like you saying, they didn't teach us this in, in school. They didn't, you know, come right out and, and, and walk you through what was really happening. They kind of, well, you know, Martin Luther King had a dream and, you know, you people could go sit on the bus and eat at the counter. They never really got in depth into everything that happened and why it happened and who all was involved and just the, uh, 
I mean, because that civil rights movement wasn't simply kids sitting at a lunch counter or them marching in the street. There was so many layers right. to that fight there that we so are never There were so many other people in it. And that's what yes. I'm saying. A lot of people go, Dr. King or Malcolm X, but they don't think about all of the other foot soldiers yes. that helped yes. them do that. And this is what this, this tale tells you. It tells yes. you about all those other foot soldiers, the people whose names you won't see on the poster boards or, you know, in the the design and the graphic. You, you, you get to hear these stories, especially, like I said, from people who were actually there and who experienced it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it what it is. And so, I mean, I know some uh, high schools or, or classes will will uh, allow their people to watch this so that they can get a good understanding of what happened. And I mean, I applaud that because I don't the prize is just, I, I really didn't know it had been around that long. I really didn't know it had been around since the eighties and, you know, quiet as it's kept, somebody needs to be filming now about these last, you know, four, five, six years to see all the fights that we've had and that are continuing to go on regarding voting rights, because I think that's also going to be an important kind of period in American history. But yes, highly recommend Eye on the Prize. Highly recommend it. Like I say, PBS is the good place to get that information. And now, this other show, Jim don't know nothing about it. But <laughs> this show, I love this show. And I'm one of them crazy crazos who was like in the theater every time one of these new movies came out. But the series originally started in 1966 and probably lasted a season or two. But, you know, they got a following. They got a group of people who said, "Ooh, this is a good idea. And it was Star Trek. And in 1987, they decided... We're going to go past that five-year mission that James T. Kirk was on, and we're going to create a new episode, a new series with new characters. And it was called The Next Generation with Patrick Stewart, Brent Spinner, Jonathan Frakes, LeVar Burton, and yes, I apologize for leaving out the women's names. Uh, 176 episodes, seven seasons. And this this show is set a hundred years past Captain Kirk's life. And so great show. Beautiful thing that I loved about this show was that it was set in this future where hopefully we had gotten past all of this, you know, racial stuff. But of course we hadn't because you know who the captain was and who, you know, who his second was and they didn't look like us, but we did have other people in the cast who look like us and they had really good roles i mean that instead of a man the doctor was a woman mm -hmm. and so we had all of these things going on but i love how they tried to change the way we saw or thought about uh race and gender and and they tried to touch on all of these things with these episodes yeah and i never got into Star Trek. I mean, I would watch an episode every now and then. It, it was just, it was just really odd to me. I, I, I just couldn't get past the whole you 
aliens are out there and then the people it was almost looking like animals and I mean it was just weird to me that just wasn't my thing I will confess that I've seen the Star Trek movies and enjoyed the actual movies and I don't know how true the movies were to the series but I did see the the movies but yeah it just wasn't my my thing it was just too I'm not a sci-fi person in you know first of all but I know people really do enjoy Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I mean, I loved it. But, I mean, and here's what I want you to think about. In the 80s, they called everybody, like, yuppies or puppies or, and what they, what these things mean were, these were young people who had good jobs and they dressed a certain way. They dressed really nice in nice clothes, right? As opposed to those folks in the 70s who were hippies and whatever, and they didn't take baths or do anything like that. But the other thing that happened in the 80s is you had this whole cable thing come along. Yeah. And so everybody needed more programming. Yeah. And so I think that opened the doors to other people who started writing and doing other things. Somebody who pops up right here towards the end is Spike Lee. Yeah, oh, Spike Lee movies, going to the theater to see Spike Lee's movies. I mean, Spike Lee was so radical. And, and it was so great because he could feel that that's where the population, the young population was going. Because we were dealing with apartheid and this and that. And he comes out with do the right thing. And we were, listen, I wore the African medallions around my neck like they did. And you had the the leather, red, black, and green uh, beanies. You know, everybody was Africa. And I mean, it's like he just, he was feeding our thirst. And it was mostly a feeling. You wanted to feel a sense of pride for your African roots and what was going on while living here in this country, still fighting to show some pride for America. And let me tell you, Spike Lee, that he was it. It, it was like whenever a Spike Lee movie came out, oh, it was a Spike Lee movie. We gotta go. It, it was over because Spike, he, he spoke to our inner radical. Because again, it was one of those things, kind of like, remember I told you Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy yeah. had this whole thing in A's because he was like, like the one. He yeah. was like, the man. oh, Eddie Murphy made a movie because, you know, he was the black guy who was a young comedian. Yeah. We going to see Eddie Murphy. And there wasn't a whole bunch of other folks at that yeah. particular time. Because remember, there was a door and somebody had to let you in the door and they let Eddie in the door. Yeah. And so here yeah. we had Spike. Somebody let him in the door. But now this door was getting a little bit wider and a little bit wider. Yeah, it was. And so then, remember Glory? Oh. Oh, with Denzel. Yes. Listen, you know, Denzel had been in St. Elsewhere where he was this beautiful doctor, blah, blah, blah. In Glory, he was this slave, you know, part of the, was it the Confederates they were fighting with? Or was it the Union Army? I can't remember which one it was. But he played that role so well. And that movie was so good because, again, it was a part of history that, you know, when you hear about slavery and the war, you have a picture of white people on each side fighting. What they don't tell you is that there was a lot of black enslaved people also fighting in that war. 
exactly. And that's what glory kind of showed us and gave us because normally they didn't teach us that, you know, but there were other great movies too. You had Lean on Me. Mr. Clark. Mr. Clark. Mr. Mr. Clark. Uh, Steel Magnolias. Oh, it was just like really good movies came out during that time. And they told these stories and the stories weren't always the type of things that they were telling before. Yeah. Yeah. Because you'd have characters. Yeah. You had these main black characters or main women characters that it was like, okay, let's hear that story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the music was great too. Because listen, oh, salt and pepper, salt yes, and pepper, we gonna push it, push it. I'm like, you got two strong black women up there rapping, and then Spinderella was the DJ. Oh, you talking about woman empowerment? Yep, yep, yep. What? Come on! I and mean, Whitney, it was so freeing. Whitney started it. Whitney came out with her little, she was really a pop princess. She came out, she was this pop princess, this goody good girl that you all wanted to be like her. And, you know, her image was just spotless. She was kind of like our Beyonce. She came with the spotless image, singing these songs. Everybody wanted to be Whitney. She was the epitome of beautiful and her voice. Even to this day, there's nobody's voice that can match Whitney Houston's voice. Just just nobody. And every time, every album, she just got better and better. And when you're thinking, oh, this can't get no better than that. And then she do something, you'd be like, wow, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Yeah, that's that's exactly it. I mean, that's that's what it was. And I'm telling you, as growing up or being a young adult during that time was empowering because you had music, you had TV and you had music that heard you. You know, you remember Public Enemy? Everybody was fighting the power. Fight the power! You know, we were all fighting the power. That's what I'm telling you. We were like, yes. And it was just so empowering to have, to to be surrounded by all of that. And you just felt seen as a young college student, like, yes. And what I want and, you to think about is we were college students before we got this energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't college we didn't students, not high yeah. school, not met college students. So what, early 20s, late teens before yeah. we got this message? Yeah. Yeah. I it mean, was empowering. No, because we grew up in the 70s and everything was about let's just promote the stereotype and let's just keep everything on TV, calm and cool and collected, the music, everybody's going to be okay. We just going to go with the establishment. Because you remember when Madonna came out in 84 with like a version, I thought they were going to burn her at the stake. I know, right? <laughs> but everybody was going around singing like a virgin. <laughs> oh my God. They was, Madonna was the devil. It was like OMG. So and made of course, a whole he, lot of money singing about the version. <laughs> he sure did in like a prayer. Oh my God. And Papa Don't Preach. Listen, she was radical to come out with those songs. But again, you have these kids that grew up in the 70s and 80s where we were just stifled. It was like, this is how life is. 
This and is what you're going to do. Life don't have to be that way. You could right? do something different. Yeah. You're like, oh, you're kidding. Yeah. It just, it just started kind of chipping away and breaking away. And it just became, and you know, I can look back now that we've, we've done these episodes. I can look back and see the start of it in the sixties and moving into the seventies. It was slow, real slow, but it eventually got there. It was like, no, you're not going to tell me that our family's going to look like this. And women are only going to do this job and black people are only going to be presented this way. It just finally just broke out. But it was it was this beautiful sort of like symphony of television and movies and music and all of these things kind of coming together, each kind of telling their own story, but all kind of telling the same story, which is you can be what you need to be. And it doesn't have to be in this particular role. It doesn't have to be this particular way. It doesn't yeah. have to be the way the society is decided. Yeah, and and that was the the beauty. And I think it's just you know they allowed people's creativity to to move forward. You know, and and for me, it's about you don't have to agree with everything. You don't have to uh, sign off on everything people are doing, but allow people to speak their piece. And I think that's what we started seeing in the 80s is people were allowed to be something other than this 1950s white society family. Right, right, right. And so the 80s gave us diverse stories about African-Americans in television and movies. Women's stories were about women stepping beyond traditional roles and doing, you know, whatever it is they wanted to do. And music had always been a medium that allowed us to kick the doors open wide and challenge the norms of the day. But would this be enough for that to close out this last decade of the century? Think about it. The 90s were coming. And were we ready for the last decade of this century? based on what we were experiencing at that time. Was was the 80s getting us ready for it? Guess you'll have to find out when we do the 90s, y'all. Thank you for listening to us. We have enjoyed chatting with you about this decade. You guys can, if you want to give us some feedback, leave us a message on Twitter or Facebook and let us know what you think about the 80s or some of these artists or some of these shows. Thank y'all for watching. I mean, <laughs> watching. Thank y'all for listening. Bye, y'all. Bye. TV Talk with the Sisters is produced by Karen J. Anderson. Music by Karen's friend Dave. And Regina Anderson just shows up to talk.